uh, as something that's very important. Jesus wants numbers, but he wants the heart. That's where he gets the numbers. There's always been, even in the Old Testament, there was Israel, all the people of Israel. But then there was the remnant, those whose hearts were the Lord's. I feel like that even the church, just because you're an American doesn't make you a, a Christian. You know, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a follower of Jesus Christ, nor his disciple. It's because you live in your, you know, live in your garage doesn't make you a car. It's like the same type of idea. A, a disciple of Jesus Christ is one who denies himself, who picks up his cross and follows after Jesus daily. Those who are my disciples will follow just as, as, as Jesus walked. This was what he kind of, if we go down to it. If you want to know if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, just kind of look at the life of Christ and go, am I following after him? When it comes to what I want and what he wants, am I laying these things down? Does that mean your life is a bunch of bummed out, horrible circumstances? Well, for some of you, yes, but I mean... In general, there's a lot of joy that the Lord has. I remember when I was young, and I, uh, when I was young, I know you guys are looking at me, but when I was younger, <laughs> I remember when I was a whoopersnapper. First in the Lord, 21, 22 years old, and uh, just new in ministry, full-time ministry, just serving the Lord. He just yanked me out of the world, did amazing things in my life. And I remember sitting there on the beach one day and just looking at people surfing and going, you know what, I really, God, I think I'd like to do that. You know, and sometimes uh, we can equate serving the Lord and being a Christian as this life of, you know, you're almost like a monk. You have to, no, I can't have any fun. I can't do these things. And the Lord looked at me and, and, and he just said, okay, son. You know, I've, I have a feeling he was sitting there right with me and going, hey, Matt, you want to go surfing? And I go, hey, Lord, you know, I'd really like to go surfing. And so it turns out there was a guy, you know, who started serving with us in the, in the worship thing he was a drummer and by the way he made surfboards you know and we developed a relationship and we you know we had fun together and just enjoyed God's creation together but yeah there's those times that we have joy in the Lord but there's also just that lifestyle of saying Lord in everything no matter where I go may I be your disciple at Walmart on Sunday mornings the hardest part is at home with my family. May I deny myself. May I love my wife like you love the church, Lord Jesus. You know? May I pick up my cross daily, meaning what your will is, what your task is, and may I follow you till the end, till it is finished, till I breathe my last breath. And that's what we strive for. Are we perfect? No. But are we on that road? Are we followers of Jesus Christ? That's what we're aiming for. Lord Jesus, help us. And so he says, anybody wants to follow me? And he talks about that. And he says, you know what that looks like? Those who hold on to their lives and their aspirations and their desires and all these things that they want, they're going to lose their life in the end. But if you truly want to have life, you put it in the hands of the Father. You submit yourself. See, everything that I am, my dreams, my hopes, all my desires are laid at your feet. Whatever you want, Lord. And as you move forward, and he says, give it up, son, you give it up. And as he says, take this, son, you take it. And we become these people who are filled with the, with the love of Jesus Christ and the life and the power flowing through us. And it's an exciting, amazing life filled with much suffering and pain, too. 
I don't know how many of you have been suffering lately. And he talks about it. He says, verse 36, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? You know, there's many who are trying to gain the whole world but forfeiting their souls today. Verse 37, he says, Or what can anyone give in exchange for the soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And he starts speaking of eternity. And really that's the, the eye of the disciples, that with the eternity in mind, not just the here and now, but the kingdom of God that will last forever and ever and ever. And as he says this, he go, we go to verse 1, and he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. So that with that eternal view in mind, he's saying, Hey, listen to some of you. He kind of switches the, t- the teaching here. He says, Some of you will not die until you see you know, the kingdom of God that has come with power. What does this mean? Now, how many of you are going in your theology, but, you know, Jesus hasn't come back yet and all this type of stuff, right? As we look here, I, I, I find that when I come to difficult passages of Scripture, um, it's very important to, to uh, not just extrapolate wild things, but to just look at what's being written here. Uh, I remember in grade school, context, I learned about context. And quite often when you come to a difficult passage, you just read the next verse and it's like, oh, there you go. So verse 2, what does it say? So, you know, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. Now notice Jesus is taking Peter, James, and John. Remember those tight three guys that he's really, he loves everybody, but these are the three men that he's really, really investing in spending most of, uh, of, the, of the delicate time imparting his ministry into them. Yes, the twelve, but these three would be very important in the future of the church. And there they were. And this is amazing to me. As they took him up in the mountain, he says that his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, any launderer could make them. And I, I know my wife's going, what does that look like? One day, we are going to see Jesus face to face, and he is just going to radiate. And Revelation talks about eyes of fire, white flowing hair, just, just radiate. Just, just the, the presence of his glory would just melt away your physical body. You just couldn't be able to stand it. One day, we'll stand before this awesome Awesome, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. And these guys are standing here, and they got trans, they, Jesus was transfigured in front of them. They got to see it. And I don't know about you, but I would just be blown away. And then on top of it, it says, And there, before them, were Elijah and Moses to boot who were talking with Jesus. And the other Gospels will say that they were talking about the things that were to come, the cross, his mission, what he was headed for. But Peter, Lord bless him, said, Rabbi, it is good to be here, period. No, continue. 
Let us set up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. They're in the presence of just God and, and his, his glory and his splendor was there. And he saw you know, Moses and Elijah, these people that were just larger than life to them in this culture. They're just amazed and blown away. And Jesus, this is, this is good that we're here. Let's set up three little worship centers for them. You know, and sadly, you know, to this day, that's what happens. Every time over in the Middle East something happens, there's a little shrine that's erected to someone. When something interesting happens, you've got a shrine to every single prophet. You've got a shrine to every single, you know, act of God that ever happened. Poor Peter. Whoops. It's good to be here. You know, sometimes it's better to let people think you're a fool than to open your mouth and, you know, dispel all doubts. You know, it's okay to say nothing in, in moments like this. You know, you know, my wife, I think, Christine, is she's a very contemplative person. She's, you know, I often ask her, come on, give me the answer, give me the answer. Come on, come on, come on. She's just thinking, you know. You know, I'm very contemplative as well, you know. After I say something, I... I... <laughs> Marcus, this is all, yep. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but I am, you know, I'm like, what did I just say? What are the ramifications? Did I just, you know, start Operation Pandora's Box or something? It's just like, <laughs> oh, no. Then I start thinking, you know, Captain Foot and Mouth there. So I relate with Peter uh, a lot. But when God starts to move, and we'll, we'll experience this in worship and in situations, what is always horrible is when God really starts to move, and then all of a sudden we get in the way. And we put the focus on a person, or I put the focus on me because I'm giddy, because I sense God's doing something, and I start talking too much or what have you. It happens to all of us. But just to learn that, you know, that amazing proverb, be slow to speak and quick to listen. Slow to speak and quick to listen. I have to work on that. How about you? I'm pretty much, uh, pretty much needing to work on that a lot. It's okay to say nothing. You know, Peter saw Moses and Elijah, and, and he was just blown away. It's good for us to be here. Let's do something to show our appreciation. You know, let's worship them all. And then a cloud appeared, verse 7, above them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. And suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone except for Jesus. Moses, a very prominent figure in Jewish history, Wrote the first five books of the Bible. The law, the Pentateuch. Huge. They wrote the law. These people, their society was based upon that. Representing the law. And then obviously we have Elijah representing the prophets. Jesus would talk about the law and the prophets. All wrapped up in this. That's how the Old Testament, the, the Bible, the Jewish Bible was, was all put together. You had the law and the prophets and obviously you know, some poetry and some other things put in there, but the law and the prophets. 
And here, if we, as we turn to Hebrews chapter 1, if you remember, why don't you turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. First Timothy, Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, Philemon. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. In the past, God spoke through the law to His people and through the prophets. But in these last days, the focus is on the Son, the very Son of God, of whom the law and the prophets spoke of, and He is standing before them. And Jesus is saying, listen to Him. We can get wrapped up in all kinds of stuff, and prophecy and Old Testament law and all that stuff. Look at the person of Jesus Christ, who is the fulfillment of all this. You know, what is that? The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We stand before our Father clean by grace. By His grace, we believe that Jesus died on the cross, and that's it. We stand before Him not through our attempt to, make, to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Do we honor the law? Yes, we do. Do we teach others not to obey the law? No, we don't. Jesus said, don't do that. But he fulfilled it for us. He did what we couldn't do. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. Boy, how I need to be right standing before God. Righteousness, right standing before God. He did it for us. Thank you, Lord, our advocate. Look at him. And that's very important for Peter. Being a Jew. These guys are big, but you're missing the picture. Don't worship them. Worship Jesus. Look at Him. Focus on Him. Let those other things be interpreted through Him. He is the lens of Scripture. As we read the Old Testament, look for Jesus. As we read the New Testament, look for Jesus. He is it. He's what it's all about. And as you look, you will never, ever be exhausted in looking at his depth. You know, your love is deeper than any man. We were just saying it. He is so deep. To comprehend the, you know, the depth, the width, the height, the length, you know, four or five dimensions going on to that of who he is will take eternity. We've talked about it before. It's like trying to understand God and then we're there for a thousand years. We get, get like the first page and he goes, okay. Uh. He's so deep and so vast. All eternity will be sitting before him and he'll be blowing our minds. Look at Jesus. And there he was in all of his glory. The kingdom of God in power. And those guys, that prophecy was fulfilled. He was sitting there right before him. Those three saw before they all died the power of the kingdom of God and glory. That's what I believe the interpretation is right there. 
So look to Jesus in verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen. And again, Jesus saying, not yet, guys. Until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Now, verse 10. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what risen from the dead had meant. I love this. Jesus had revealed himself as the Messiah. They said it, and then he showed them. They believed before they saw it, and then, they, and then he actually showed them. And so they're sitting here, and they're asking. They asked him, verse 11, they know he's the Messiah. Why did teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? You know, their, their knowledge, okay, you're the Messiah, but it says that, that Elijah is supposed to come first. That's what the teachers of the law say. And what, how does Jesus respond? To be sure, Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. And then he also adds another aspect that they're not thinking of. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must first suffer and, much be, and, and be rejected? You know, again, we often look at scriptures according to what we want and what we need, but we don't look at the whole thing. Yes, you're right. Elijah is going to come, but guess what? The Messiah is also going to suffer. But I tell you, and this is difficult, uh, I guess, to understand for the disciples here. Verse 13 says, But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished. You know, they cut off his head. Just it was written about him. And if you read in Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, which I mentioned last week, speaking of the prophet Elijah, it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts to the, uh, the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And I think that they didn't, weren't totally turned and they did come in 70 AD and totally strike the land with destruction. But reading in Luke chapter 1 verse 13, remember the birth of John the Baptist. An angel comes and appears to Zechariah. John the Baptist's dad says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. Which means God is gracious, by the way. That's why I named John John. We did. He will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He has never taken any wine wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That's awesome. Remember, they're kicking in the womb. He will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord God, and he will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Here we are, the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is the fulfillment of that prophecy some, you know, 300, 400 years later. To turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Jesus says, John has already come. Elijah has already come. He's John the Baptist. Not saying that Elijah is John the Baptist, but in that spirit, in that fulfillment, he came and did fulfill all this prophecy. And they did to him as they pleased. They cut off his head. John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so Jesus is expounding all these things to his disciples. Verse 14, And when they came to the other disciples... They saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Oh, joy. Don't you love coming down from a mountaintop experience? Back to the real world? And soon, all the people saw Jesus, and they were overwhelmed 
with wonder, and they ran to greet him. Man, it's Jesus. This guy is awesome. And they go, and they run over to him, and they greet him. Verse 16. I love this. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. I love Jesus, the shepherd. His disciples are in trouble. The teachers of the law are surrounding him. They're arguing. They're harassing him. And Jesus comes in, hey, what are, you, what are you doing with my sheep? What are you arguing about? Man, there's something about a shepherd's heart when you see people that love the Lord and, and you see the enemy coming in there and starting to distract and give them some kind of intellectual whatever or try to entice them away. There's something about that, hey, what are you doing? Those are the Lord's. You back off, you know? The Lord has that heart for you. And so do the elders of this church. We love you. We want to protect you. Care for you. And expect it when we see weird stuff happening to jump in and say, Hey, no, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know? Jesus the shepherd comes right in. In verse 17, a man in the crowd answers, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by his spirit and has robbed him of speech. Whenever it sees him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth and he gnashes at the teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Boy, that's a test in humility right there. There's a lot of things that we cannot do. And it's frustrating. And Jesus, you unbelieving generation. The reason why it couldn't happen is because there was not a certain amount of faith in here. And I don't want to have like a faith healing type thing, but as you're looking here, Jesus is saying, you unbelieving generation. Just ponder that for a while. And Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? (laughs) Bring the boy to me. And so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him to the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Imagine that if your son was being convulsed uncontrollably, couldn't speak and would throw himself into water to try to drain himself and, and, and be thrown into the fire to kill himself. There's just a suicidal tendency all the time. Do you know that that's the enemy's desire for you and your children? To kill and destroy, to possess you till the end so that you die. And he'll take whatever absolute methods he can use, any tool that he can use in your life to do it. Be mindful of, of your enemy. Be mindful of, of his tactics. Be mindful of your weaknesses and your passions. He will use those in your life. Some, you know, struggle with greed. He will use it to destroy you. You know, some will let you, some of us, you know, you, they let your eyes wander. He will destroy you. Don't be fooled. The enemy wants to crush, kill, and destroy us. And we see this actually manifested physically in this person. So from childhood, it has thrown him and done all this stuff. And verse 23 is very interesting. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. You know, if you can help us, take pity on us. If you can help us, Lord Jesus, if. There's that unbelief there. Jesus says, if you can, 
What do you mean if? Everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and I think rightfully so, and this is where our hearts are in closing, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. How many of you are there? You know Jesus, you love Jesus, but Lord, this circumstance, I just need your help. I don't have it in me. I'm I'm at my end. And when we, you'll know when you're at your end in faith, when you start going, knowing that the Lord can do it to saying if. If you can do this, God. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of his will. If he wants to do it or not, I think that's the big if. But if you can, it's not a matter of if. He is the Lord. Boy, I have to remember that. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Please help my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he's trying to get it done before everybody made a deal, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And never enter him again. I like that little clause he added. And what happens? And when Jesus speaks... It happens. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. What do you know? The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. In verse 28, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately. <laughs> I love that. Asking him privately. Hey, uh, why, why, why couldn't we drive it out? Why couldn't we do it? And what do you think Jesus' response is here? What do you think this is a challenge to us? I mean, how does this fit your heart? And replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. And fasting, the other gospels say. This kind can only come out through prayer. There are things that we are uninformed about regarding the spiritual world. We know that demons are fallen angels. We know that there are different ranks and principalities and different types. One's with crazy wings, one with weird heads, one with normal looking. But you know what? It's not really for us to know right now. But Jesus is saying here, this kind can only come out with prayer and fasting. There are things that will not happen, that God desires to happen, unless... We pray. Unless we lay in. Seek the Lord in prayer. You know, I'm thinking of, you know, Dave and Darla today. Need your prayer. We need to lay into the kingdom for them. Dave and Darla lost their daughter on Mount Hood. One of the climbers. And today they're, you know, Dave's being interviewed for possible documentary you know but all these emotions are brought back up there's a war going on there and god would seek to bring glory out of this situation we have to lay these things before the lord and pray you know for mercy on their hearts and also on the editing table what would the lord use this for it hurts so much but to his glory i mean i've had the honor to pray with dave for the last month and a half on mondays but i mean it's, 
it's heavy stuff, and they've paid a tremendous cost in their life, their lives. But the people that I see are inspired to me. I want to be like them. Much suffering, but we need to pray that the Lord's will will be done. You know, I think of Mozetta. Here she is suffering, you know, helping this church out week after week when they can. You know, going through dialysis and coming in to help the kids. You know, and here's there's a block in the heart, and she's trying to get a liver, she's trying to live, and we need to pray. Seek the Lord, perhaps fast for them. Deny our flesh. Deny ourselves and pick up our cross and say, Lord, maybe for a while. There's some other insight that you want to give us, but my flesh is in the way. Let me just crucify it for a day or two and, and just fast and, and seek a prayer for them. Maybe there's something going on that we can't perceive in our flesh and the Lord wants to give us, but we won't go forward. Let's press in as disciples, you know? I just, you know, and I don't want to bring it up, but God answers prayer. I'm excited about Karen being here this morning. You know, I mean, that's just one example. I'm not going to go into a bunch of it. Man, we're praying and God's hearing some things. He's doing some things in our body. I tell you what, the work that he wants to do in this valley will not be accomplished unless we are a people who deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him. And part of that is prayer. Seeking the Lord. How many of you like to pray? Well, you're lucky. I don't. Not often. Not in the morning. Definitely not. It's sometimes a a crucifix. I mean, when I pray, I'm rewarded. I love it. But I tell you what. How many of you just like, oh, this is dope. You know? We get like that. We have to grow. We have to push in. We have to develop that in our lives. Matt needs to develop that. Together, let's be a people of prayer and pushing in so that the enemy can get kicked in the teeth and God can get the glory. And we can take part of that. Yes, God is sovereign. But he also gives us a free will. If, would you like to join in me with the battle? Yes, Lord Jesus. Help my unbelief. Let me take the next step. We have opportunities, obviously, in the church we've given to pray. And you don't have to come to an organized event. We just do this because, that we just man, there's people who want to love each other. On Wednesday nights, we get together. You know, in Kaelas and all that type of stuff. Sundays. Mondays. There's other Monday mornings. There's tons of times to pray. And by the way, you can just grab someone and say, let's pray. Whoa, what a novel idea. You're the church. Where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am also. If you're hurting, you grab someone next to you who's, who's a brother or sister in Jesus and say, pray for me. And share your burden. And it is selfish if you are not sharing your burdens with the church. You are not meant to carry that by yourself. That is our job, to love you and to, and to be in there with you. And by the way, if you're not doing well, we're not doing well. If you're hurting, we're hurting. That's the way Jesus made it. If you're suffering, you know, we're suffering. We're the body. We need to lay down the pride and say, help me. 
Or let me pray for you. When can I pray for you? I'm just speaking because this is something that this body does well. We need to capitalize on it. We need to continue to push. This is one of the great things that the Lord has done here. Don't stop. Don't be discouraged. Press in. Amen?